I love this message. I love this fellowship. I don't mind telling you I am apostolic through and through. I love everything about the apostolic movement. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't have any freckles. I love everything about it. Someone said, Brother Young, did I tell you about so-and-so? I said, no, and thank you very much. I love this message. I appreciate what truth means. Let's raise our hands and love the Lord right now. God, I love you. I praise your wonderful name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My purpose this morning is to share with you uh, a few things that will help us to understand that this beautiful, magnificent truth is worth something. There are those in our past that have paid a tremendous price to put in our hands what we have. We must never take for granted. And as Brother Mooney just said a moment ago, squander this truth and, and decimate this beautiful church that has been put in our hands. I knew somewhat closely the story of a family some few years ago. The uh, patriarch of that family was one of the most courageous workers. He was not an educated man, but he was an energetic man, and he made millions. He uh, was not only very energetic and laborious, but uh, he was a great giver. He was well known in his community and the regions roundabout. And over a long period of time, he established several banks and was one of the greatest land owners and developers and just, uh, just a, a great man. And the tragedy was he only had one son. And when he passed his properties, Onto his son, and his son inherited them at the death of his father. This uh, son had gone to college for a little while and opted out, became a drug addict, an alcoholic, a philanderer. And uh, though for a season of time he sat on a number of boards of several banks that his father had started, his life became scandal. And uh, the name that had become so sterlingly pure and recognized with great honor in that entire region was smeared in the headlines of several newspapers because this young fella had not known how to appreciate what his father had given him. I want you to know I love this message. I don't take for granted the privilege of standing on this platform behind this pulpit because I'm standing in the shadows of, of great men and uh, some of their pictures are reflected behind me and all around us. Uh, there, there is so many reasons for us to hold the torch high. I, I think it would be good for a moment before I read my scripture if we, we would all just stretch forth our hand to those that are near us and pray one for another and in doing so let's thank God for this beautiful truth praise God I love you I appreciate you 
Thank you, dear God, for what you mean to us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I pray that you would lift us to a new level this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 I'm speaking on the birth of the modern day apostolic movement, its struggles, and its triumphs. And I'm reading this morning from Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. The Bible said, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, and, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Would you say praise the Lord for the word? God bless you. You may be seated. The struggles and the triumphs of the modern day apostolic movement. I want you to hold this particular passage that I've read for a moment in your minds. And I want to go back to the Old Testament just for a moment to to um, show you something. Consider the life and the ministry of the man Moses. Actually, the life of Moses can be divided into three different 40-year periods of time. first 40-year period of his life was spent uh, as he was guided and instructed in the schools of Pharaoh's court. And he was educated in a, in a great way, the greatest that the world had to produce at that time. That was the first 40-year period of his life. The second 40-year period was on the backside of the desert. And uh, then the last 40 years he spent leading the children of Israel. I think it's very significant that 80 years of his life was spent in preparation for ministry. And uh, this is not the focus of my remarks today, but since we're in a Bible college format, uh, I just want to reemphasize that it's very important to prepare ourselves for ministry. It's very important to be prepared. Moses spent 40 years in preparation for 
80 years in preparation for 40 years of ministry. And the thing that triggered his uh, entry into this last 40-year period, according to the Word of God, he was on the backside of the desert, and he was going about his daily ritual and routine, and he looked over to the side and saw an unusual scene. He saw a bush. Everybody say a bush. It was not unusual to see a bush that was burning because according to what I have read in that particular part of the country, the extreme heat was apt to cause the dry bushes to catch fire. But the thing that really attracted Moses' attention to this burning bush is the fact that it did not immediately burn up. The bush was burning and not consumed. That got his attention. He said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight. What I would like to introduce to you this morning is the fact that that burning bush that Moses saw was... Uh, was actually a prophetic foreview of Moses' ministry. It was a reflection of Israel. The nation of Israel, when you compare it to the rest of the nations of the world politically, uh, educationally, financially, uh, the nation of Israel was, uh, was a nobody nation. It was a small, inferior, insignificant people. And it was introduced to Moses as a bush and not a tree. So Moses saw a bush. And on top of the negative of the fact that he saw a bush and not a tree, the bush was on fire. Everybody say the bush was on fire. The bush was on fire, which is a reflection of all of the struggles and the trials and the difficulties that would pervade the whole history of the nation of Israel. Now, it was very important for Moses to see this in the beginning of his ministry because when he, when he got out uh, midway in the journey and he was involved with his people, when he all of a sudden came to realize that this was a small, insignificant nation of people when compared with the rest of the nation of the world, if God had not prepared him ahead of time by showing him the burning bush, then Moses would have become discouraged, possibly. And when he became involved with all of the struggles of the nation of Israel. Had God not prepared him ahead of time by showing him uh, the nation of Israel as a bush that was burning, perhaps he would not have understood the struggles and the trials. What I want you to understand is that, that the nation of Israel is a distant mirror for the New Testament church. And what is said about the nation of Israel carries a message for us in the New Testament church. First of all, I want to say this about the church. I love the apostolic movement. Praise God. I really believe that all of us have a heart that says, I want the church, to, my church, to be the biggest church in town. I want to see more people know God than, uh, than do not know Him. I want tremendous revival. I want a Holy Ghost outpouring. I want to see a great apostolic church. 
When you compare the apostolic movement with many of uh, the groups that are around the world, uh, I have to tell you that we come off as a bush in many people's eyes. And then when you get involved in the nitty-gritty of the church and you look at the history of God's people, you'll find that throughout the long history of the church, there have been, there have been trials. There have been difficulties. The bush has been on fire. We have not, we have not been spared of our difficult moments. Now, I don't have the advantage this morning of knowing everything about history that I would like to know. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to present to you some of the struggles of the apostolic movement from the perspective of, uh, of my study and my own particular life. And, uh, first of all, I want to mention Elder G.T. Haywood, whose picture is reflected here. I've read uh, quite a lot about Brother Haywood. Brother Mooney mentioned this morning that when some of these great men left the, the Trinitarian world and embraced this wonderful apostolic movement, they had great churches, and they were influential men. And when they embraced this message, they were forced to walk away from those churches and basically, virtually, went into home missionary status and spent the rest of their lives never recouping what, what they had forfeited and what they had given up. I have read in history that, that when G.T. Haywood was called before the Council of the Assembly of God movement, uh, they, they made great effort to persuade him. They brought to the meeting men that uh, they felt could influence him, men that were friends of his, and they tried to show him the unreasonableness of the decision that he was making and the cost that, that uh, he would have to pay to embrace this wonderful message. And I, I read that uh, for three long hours, one of his best friends uh, pressured him and talked with him and told him, you cannot do this. You cannot do this. And uh, when Brother Haywood ultimately said, no, I'm committed. I see this, this beautiful truth. I will not walk away from it. Then they brought one of the leading men in. He had a packet of paper in his hand when he walked into the room. The other friend walked out as this man came in. And... Uh, this uh, gentleman shook these papers in front of Brother Haywood's face, and he said, Do you know what I hold in my hand? He said, No, I don't. He said, I'm holding in my hand the copyright of all of the songs that you have written. And he said, What I want you to know is we hold the copyright of these songs. And if you embrace what you are in the process of embracing, and you walk away from this, I want you to know you will never be able to use these songs again. And uh, if, if you're an artist or if you're a songwriter, if you're an author, you know the cost that uh, that, that, would, uh, that would bring to a man. And you know the pressure that he would feel. And uh, according to what I, what I read, G.T. Haywood stood up. And he dropped his head for a moment. And then he looked up with a gleam in his eye. And he said, Sir, you may hold the copyright in your hand, but the songwriter is in my heart. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What I want you to understand 
is this message came to us at great expense on somebody's part. At great expense. Praise the Lord. I came from a long line of, of apostolic people uh, on my father's side. My mother, however, was the very first one in her family to, uh, to not only receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but uh, to be baptized in the name of Jesus. My mother's father never accepted this message, never accepted uh, this message at all. And I can remember as a child many times when we would sit in my grandfather's house and he would argue and he would debate and he would do his level best to change my mother's position. Now, soon after mother received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and embraced this beautiful truth and was baptized in Jesus' name, she began to travel with uh, a man and his wife in the evangelistic work and, and uh, preached revival meetings. Mother herself began to minister in some of those meetings. There came a point in her experience before she and dad married that uh, mother broke away from that evangelistic group and felt like God had burdened her heart to go to a little East Texas town to start a church. She was a teenage girl at that time, but she pioneered a church that still exists to this day in that community. With her own hands, she helped to drive the nails that uh, constructed the first building in that little community. And I heard my mother say that one time when she came in from between meetings and came into her father's home, and her father was, was quite well-to-do financially, and he, he told her, he said, Lenny, he said, uh, you are very talented. And he said, you are a wonderful singer. He said, uh, the only problem with, with what you're doing is you've got the wrong message. And he told her, he said, if you will forego this Jesus name message, and if you will quit preaching baptism in the name of Jesus and the oneness of God, he said, I'll buy you a new automobile. I'll buy you a tent. I'll see that you have an entourage of people to follow you, and I'll make a name out of you. And I don't know if my grandfather had the funds actually to do that or the influence to do that. But there was something very deep in my mother's heart that said the most precious, the most valuable, the most wonderful truth in all of this world is in my heart, and I refuse to give it up. Praise the Lord. I refuse to count it as unimportant and insignificant. And when you know what this message costs, you are not so ready to dispose of it and to give it up. When you give up this truth for something that is not real, you give up so much to gain so little. How many of you really love this message? Praise God. Throughout the ages, every generation of apostolics have had to pay a price for their faith. They have had to pay a price to defend their faith. It has cost them and cost them dearly. has cost them in terms of influence. has cost them in terms of forfeiting their friends. And many times, they have absolutely stood alone. It was said of Andrew Urshan. After he understood and received this beautiful revolution, revelation of truth, 
that uh, he came to the point in his experience that he prayed and said, God, I would like to find one other person in the world that believes that Jesus is God and baptism in Jesus' name is right. I'd like to find one more person. And if I could find that person, I would put my arms around them and love them and say, this is the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, what am I saying? I'm saying that it cost a great deal. It really did. As far as the world is concerned, we may not look like much. They may look at us and say, it's just a bush. And they may look over uh, against the background and see the giant sequoias and the great trees and look at us and say, you're a bush. And on top of that, they may say, it's a bush that's on fire. There's been persecution and trial and difficulty. But uh, what I want to tell you this morning is although it is but a bush, and although it is on fire, it has never been consumed by the fire. The bush still burns. Can you say praise the Lord? It's burning with passion. It's burning with excitement. It's burning with enthusiasm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I was so moved last night when Brother Mooney shared with us the testimony. When the gentleman said, asked him the question, Are you ready to die for this truth? It's an incredible question. And sometimes we would like to respond impetuously and say yes. But I think a more reasonable and a more realistic response demands a pause. And we need to ask ourselves. And we need to analyze every vestige of thought that's in our being. And we need to ask ourselves the question, are you really prepared to pay the ultimate price? For this truth. And I have to tell you, I believe that sitting on these pews today, there were people that are prepared to do just exactly that. Praise God. For the simple reason, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ looked intently into the eyes of of uh, his followers, and he said, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's the, that's the ultimate question. What, what, what are people saying? You fellows are moving uh, uh, among people, and, and uh, what, what is their thinking? What are they saying about me? Who do they say that I am? Well, the response was, Some say that you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Elias. Others say that you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus brought the question closer to home and he said, But what are you saying? Who do you say that I am? Praise the Lord. Who do you say? Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, the first value of this message to us is, is of course, the fact that it is truth. It is absolute truth. 
There is not one ray of question about whether or not it is absolute truth. It is absolute truth. Praise the Lord. But uh, the second point of value to this truth is uh, we, we got this understanding by divine illumination. It was God that overshadowed our heart. It was God that disclosed Himself to us. It was God who manifested Himself to us. I remember as a young evangelist. Now, I've already told you something about my background. Uh, I grew up in this thing. And I believed the apostolic message with all of my energy and strength. But as a young man growing up in my father's home and in his church, I have to be honest with you, I didn't really understand the oneness of God, and I couldn't really explain the oneness of God. I actually started my ministry as an evangelist, believing in the oneness of God, but I couldn't. Explain it. Now, I remember as a child, my dad pastored a small church, and on Wednesday night was question and answer time. Dad had a little question box out in front of the pulpit. And uh, throughout the week, people would come and they would drop their questions in the question box. And Dad would walk down in front of the pulpit for his Wednesday night Bible lesson, and he would open that box, and one by one he would take questions out without having studied them before. And he would read the question, and he would take uh, five or ten minutes with that question. And he would usually go for an hour to an hour and a half. And uh, he just went, as, uh, and when he had taken that time, he closed the box, and he said, we'll get to the rest of these questions next week. And every week, without fail, I would go by the church, and I would put a little question in the question box. Would you please explain the Godhead? And I did that every week. Now, the first few times that Dad pulled that question out of the box, he took a little time to explain the oneness of God. And it was as clear as mud when he got through. I, 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 I didn't understand it at all. So the next week, I put the question back in. After a while, Dad kind of understood what was going on, and I think maybe he, he uh, read my handwriting. And he, he would pull that question out, and he would then look over where I was sitting, and he would say, Curtis, I will talk with you about the Godhead when we get home. And all of my young life, there was an obsession, a desire, a hunger. I believed in the oneness of God. I would have fought for the oneness of God. As a matter of fact, I actually did that on the school playground a lot of times. When people started discounting our church and discounting the message, I got in a fight several times with several fellows. And so I believed it. Simeon and I left home to begin our evangelistic work. And we would, by the hour... We would discuss the Godhead. I hope I'm not going over time. Uh, Simeon would take one side, and I would take the other side. And we would debate the issue back and forth. And uh, one day we got, we got a book, and it was, it was a horrible book. And this man presented a view of the oneness of God that was strange to me. And, and he said that Jesus was God. And he was all of God that there 
is or was. And he said when Jesus died, the world was without a God for three days. And I knew I believed that Jesus is God, but I also knew that I didn't believe that. And uh, so after church, we were in South Texas in revival meeting. Simeon and I were sleeping in uh, one room. My sister was in the next room. And the pastor and his family were in the other part of the house. And we got this book, and we spent nearly all night long talking about this man's position and the oneness of God. And just before daylight, my sister came and knocked on our door, and she said, Why don't you fellows please go to bed? Uh, You've kept everybody awake all night. Well, the reason we did that is because there was an insatiable hunger for truth. And, and, and I felt desperate for the chance. I felt desperate. And what I did was, uh, I said, okay, we'll be quiet. And I took my Bible. And the, the, the pastor was living in the back of the church. I took my Bible. I walked out of that room. And I walked through the sanctuary, up to the front of the sanctuary, to a little room. I don't even know what they used that room for. But I put my Bible open on the floor. And I lay down with my head between the pages of the Bible. And I wept. I wept for more than an hour and I prayed. I said, God, I've got to know. I've got to understand. I I believe this, but I've got to understand it. I cannot tell you exactly how it transpired. But while I was laying there with my head between the pages of the book, all of heaven became illuminated over me. God overshadowed me with an anointing. And I saw as clearly as anything in this world that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. Praise the Lord. I got this revelation by divine illumination. God disclosed Himself to me. Praise the Lord. And not for one small moment would I ever consider forfeiting this message. Praise God. Will I look at the obscurity of some of our people? Will I look at the trials and the struggles and the difficulties that some of our people go through? And then turn and look at the affluence and the marketing techniques and, and the abundance of everything that uh, other people in the world have. And will I choose an Egyptian ministry rather than a burning bush ministry? Oh, no. Because as I stand on this platform for you this morning, I want to tell you that Egypt is history, but the bush is still burning. Praise the Lord. I said the bush is still burning. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. This truth is marching on. This truth is marching on. Praise the Lord. I may back up. You may back up. Some other people may back up, but this truth is marching on. Thank you, Brother Davis, for telling us last night, the truth is not in jeopardy. The truth is marching on. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and raise our hands and love Him. Let's give the Lord our worship right now.